Welcome, everyone, to the Everybody Counts podcast. It's Tracy here. And if you're anything like me, you're struggling a bit waiting for the next season of Bosch to arrive. Season six has been filmed. They've wrapped. It will be coming, but the wait is hard. So we decided to try and give you all a little peek behind the curtain of Bosch with cinematographer and now director Patrick Cady. Patrick may not mention this, but I want to make sure you all also know that he is a member of the ASC, American Society of Cinematographers, and that is quite an honor, and it says so much about the quality of the work that he does, so I want you to keep that in mind as well. Patrick has also worked on another one of my favorite shows, Rectify, from Sundance and Ray McKinnon, so we get to talk a little bit about that at the end, and We also talk a little bit about another project that is coming soon to CBS All Access called Interrogation. So hear a little bit about that as well. And of course, I couldn't let Patrick go without playing our usual game that we do at the end of our interviews normally. And uh, we always have a good time with that. So I'm very grateful that Patrick indulged me in playing the game. So if you're like me and you enjoy the behind the scenes, how things work, how the production comes together, all the nuts and bolts and creativity that goes into bringing us Bosch, then I think you will really enjoy my interview with Patrick. So without further ado, here we go. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's a special Oh, you're welcome. To be able to pick your brain a little bit. Um, <laughs> the the fans are, they just, you know, like I think I mentioned in one of my emails, they're just like sponges wanting to soak up all the details. And I think they really like to, myself definitely included, like to sort of get a peek behind the curtain of how it all happens. So we thought it would be great to get some input. And truth be told, I heard about you, more about you from both Tom and Troy. So oh, by, cool. by some nice things they had to say about you, I was like, we need to talk to Patrick. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, kinda... I'm big fans of theirs. Awesome. Tom and uh, Tom and I immediately hit it off when I started shooting Rectify. <laughs> oh yeah, well, right. Because you were already involved in Boston then, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I might pick your brain about that a little bit towards sure. the end if we have time. Yeah. This is just a, a strange little tidbit. My family and I were actually out at the Bosch set a few months ago. Amy, she invited us to come out, and it was just a wonderful time in September. And we were calling security, where do we park? But I think the first day we were there, we were parked next to your spot. Do you have your own <laughs> spot? Does it say your name on there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think we parked next to your spot. Oh, and very cool. It's really exciting when you get a spot with your name, because that, that yeah. is the case. <laughs> well, <I laughs> when you get rock star parking. Yeah, well, the, part, the space we were in said Bosch Cast. But it wasn't specific. I'm like, right. you have your name on yours. That's pretty Yeah, cool. they really want to make sure you don't have any excuse for being late to work. <laughs> <laughs> you have a spot. It's safe for you. If you're late, well, it's on you. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Well, I guess first I, I wanted to start out, if you would just describe a little bit about how you decided to pursue cinematography and how did you land at Bosch in your oh, career? Oh, sure. So I got interested in cinematography by thinking I was a director, and now, of course, I'm starting to direct again after 20 years yeah. of being a cinematographer. But the thing that really got me interested in filmmaking, well, let me go back to the beginning. So sure. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, south of Buffalo, okay. New York. It was all mm-hmm. dairy farming and nothingness. There was like a gravel pit in my tiny, small town that I grew up in, which was the big deal <laughs> there. <Wow. laughs> okay. And um, I saw Star Wars 
and mm-hmm. couldn't believe how real it all seemed. And then, you know, because it's pre-internet, you start mm-hmm. finding out that there's this thing called Industrial Light and Magic, this company that's making all the spaceships look like they're flying and the AT-ATs look yeah. like they're walking, all that stuff. <clears throat> and my younger brother had a subscription to their fan magazine, which was really like these typewritten sheets on stationery that they would send out a couple, every other month or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote them a letter when I was in oh. high school saying, I want to work at Industrial Light and Magic. In fact, the letter said, I want to sweep the floors at Industrial Light and Magic. Oh. How do <laughs> yeah. I do that? And they wrote me back. Oh, in my fact, gosh. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's so great. Jock Church, who ended up creating Beekman's World, was running the uh, fan magazine at that time. And he wrote back on their behalf saying, anyone that works at ILM, they just want them to have a basic film degree. And at that time, when you shot on film, you'd have to go to school just to learn or or work on sets, which I couldn't do. I didn't know anyone. Mm -hmm. So you would go to school to learn how to load a camera and expose the film and all this stuff. And I started doing that at Ithaca College, was where I went to undergrad. And I mm-hmm. fell in love with filmmaking. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to be a filmmaker. I'm going to be a director. And I learned all these technical things. And I really enjoyed it, taking photographs and making films. <clears throat> and then I got very, very lucky. And I, this is a long answer. I apologize. But I got really no, it's lucky. Great. And I landed a job answering phones for Sarah Green, who at that time was producing for John Sales. And okay. John Sales is... The, the Godfather of Independent Cinema is one of the titles he mm. has. So he he directed all these great uh, independent movies in the uh, starting in the late '80s, in, and I started working for him in the early '90s. And I got to go work as a camera intern on this film called Passion Fish, which was being mm. shot by a young up and coming DP at that time named Roger Deakins. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> who is now maybe the most famous cinematographer yeah. working, right? Wow. And I got to see John and Roger working together, and John and Roger are both very quiet, and there's mm-hmm. no yelling. Everyone's really nice on John's sets. Everyone's, it's a real family feeling. And I thought, oh, this is fantastic. This is exactly what I thought it would be like. And mm-hmm. I really fell in love with being on set. And then I decided to go back to grad school to get my hands on a camera. And mm-hmm. I got into NYU and went to NYU. And I started working there with other students who didn't have any filmmaking experience, but they had oh. uh, stage experience. And the way okay. I saw them working with actors was really impressed. And I started to realize the things I knew about how to tell a story with pictures and how to technically do all these things was much more a storytelling cinematographer. I was like, oh, that's, yeah. what, I, that's what I am. And, and then I got a real lucky break in when I was at film school. I was the first assistant camera person for a young DP who was working that time as a gaffer for music videos. His name is Eric Schmidt. Mm-hmm. He was just making the transition to gaffing, and he took me on as one of his electricians. And so I came up because I was putting myself through school, I came up mm-hmm. working on all these cool music videos in the early 90s in New York. Oh, wow. And I was an electrician for four years, and then uh, then I made, then he made the move to shooting and, I, and made me his gaffer. And so I was his gaffer for four years, and then 
in January 1 of 1999, I made a New Year's resolution to not gaff anymore, and I just mm-hmm. was a photographer from that point on. Oh. Yeah. And I got really lucky. The first film I shot that ever got seen was Girl Fight, directed by Karin Kusama. And she has okay. also come up in the John Sales family. So okay. that, that film won Sundance. And as soon as you've shot something like that, it's a little mm-hmm. bit easier to at least meet yeah. on the next type of job. Great. I like <laughs> how then, you just claimed it with your New Year's resolution. <laughs> Put it out there. Yeah. I had been yeah. shooting a bunch of shorts and things like that and building up a reel and I thought I wanted to do it almost a, a year earlier, and I didn't quite have enough material to make the jump. And uh, that last year of gaffing, I learned a lot more about um, working with groups of people than any of the technical stuff, and that was that oh. in the long run is more important, the technical thing. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so how long after that point in your career did you get on to Boss? It's kind of interesting. So when I first started shooting television was being in general as for cinematographers was being looked down to compared to features. The idea oh, okay. was that, yeah. you know, a feature mm-hmm. television was fast and there was this thing stuck in people's heads. I think of, you know, just like, you know, you light it fast and, and it looks right. different than a, a film. Right. Of course, now that's been completely turned on its head, but absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That friend, Eric Schmidt, who I'd been working for, he was starting to shoot the first season of a brand new show called Cold Case at the time, and he was getting married during the filming of the show, and so I covered him for his wedding, Mm -hmm. and I shot an episode of that show, and then halfway through the show in the winter break, he had been doing really well in commercials, and he decided to go back to that very lucrative commercial career, and they called Mm -hmm. me up and they said, we enjoyed you on that episode, will you come finish out the season and so my big break in television was shooting the number one new show on TV that year it was very very lucky Um, and I had no idea I was being you don't realize how lucky it is until you start having a you know you start missing opportunities like that and then you realize oh it's all okay it's all luck you have to be able to deliver when you get the chance but you need the chance to to do it. But through that, I met another, I made another friend, uh, Paul Summers, who was my camera operator. He was the camera operator on Cold Case, and we got along really well. And then we, uh, he started shooting shortly thereafter, and we shot, we were co-cinematographers on a show called Valentine, which is a very short-lived single-season show. Okay. But we worked really well together. Um, mm-hmm. Our footage looked a lot alike together. And okay. uh, we met a director, Kevin Dowling, on that show. And he was the director of, after Bosch had gotten picked up, he mm-hmm. was directing the first two uh, episodes of season one. Okay. And so through him, because he'd had a good uh, experience with Paul and myself, they, Peter Yan, and he knew that they wanted to do a show with alternating cinematographers because it was going to be a lot of location work. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's a key linchpin to the how the show looks and moves is Peter Jan Brugge, the producer. Okay, he to, yeah. Uh, he used to produce with Michael Mann on Heated Heat and The Insider, right. et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Huge, huge movies. Yeah. And he's very aware of how important prep is to victory, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. And, and how if and you know how can we 
turn out the show we turn out in eight days of shooting with all these locations. So every time you move from one location to another, you're not shooting anything. So when you get there, you have to be really efficient. Yeah. So, so alternating cinematographers was the key. Paul mm-hmm. Summers and I had done that already. We had worked with Kevin before. And so we individually met with the gang. And that was when I first met Henrik and Peter Jan and, and we talked, and I and what I did is I brought in uh, stills on my iPad, just daily stills from the show okay. I'd been doing previously. I'd been shooting a show in Chicago called um, uh, Betrayal, which mm-hmm. was I was really proud of the show, but it was also a single season show. But I really liked okay. how it looked, and it was a mix of available lighting from the city. Chicago has a lot of really cool lighting built into it, and so just in talking to Peter Jan Brugge about the way I was working and shooting the show, I didn't realize at that time, but that's, I was getting the job in that, in that interview. So they met several photographers and they ended up hiring myself and Paul and they had me start out those first two episodes of season one. Okay. And that's how I got on the show. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I, I really like how you mentioned that the storytelling aspect of you know as part of what you do because as the older yeah. I get and the more TV I watch especially in this age of you know like um, shortened seasons but like boss it is just is very cinematic you know it is much like a feature broken up into pieces but it's how you all tell the story and just learning that there are so many aspects of the production that go into that storytelling so I, I like that that you mentioned that what can you tell uh, fans about the specifics of the role of uh, DP, director of photography, um, like what bas- a basic job description, what are your responsibilities in that? Oh, thing? sure. So uh, uh, director of photography or cinematographer in the American filmmaking system is very much like a high-ranking officer in a military system. Okay. So there's all these things that have to happen before you see an image at home and um, mm-hmm. they need to be framed. So the shot needs to be designed in conjunction with the director. Some directors have very specific ways they want things shot, like Ernest Dickerson, who's my sensei. He he storyboards a lot of his sequences, and so you go in, and you learn it during prep. You get ideas about the way he's leaning towards shooting something Mm -hmm. in prep, and uh, and that that was similar to the way Karen and I worked when she was directing Girl Fight, was we we storyboarded everything ahead of time. So I've gotten really lucky in working with a lot of great directors and very often you'll be on set and she'll already know what she wants to do and and you might arrive at shots together or she might have something really specific she wants right away and so that's one aspect of the shooting is what the camera how the camera is going to move it's like you can kind of tell when Spielberg's directing by the way the camera moves okay so that's one aspect the other aspect is how the lighting is going to work in that world and mm-hmm. the combination of the moving is both the camera team and the grip team. So the dolly grip, the person moving the camera operator on the on this mechanism called the dolly, mm-hmm. they're in control of the speed of the move, the way it moves. So there's a, there's basically three teams of people working together to make one shot. Um, and I'm in charge of all those three teams. So the gaffer is the head of the electricians in the lighting department. So when you see that name in the credits, that's what that means, the gaffer. And then the key grip is in charge of the grips who are moving the camera physically. 
They're in charge of all the safety on set and the rigging of things on set. So when you see okay. a scene on Bosch when you've got cameras locked off on the cars, people are talking in the car, the grips have rigged the cameras mm-hmm. for the car so that they don't fall off while we're oh, okay. shooting. Right. And then you've got the camera department, which is the camera operators, because we're often using two cameras at once. So mm-hmm. I'm o- overseeing from some very nice monitors. I'm watching what they're doing after mapping it out with them. And then right. you've got pe- people pulling focus and running data around and little drives. So it's about 40 people that the cinema yeah. is in charge of. So there's a lot of variables there. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <clears throat> yeah, whenever you see it behind the scenes and you see someone setting up a light and shaping it and uh-huh. setting up the cameras, that's most likely um, that's someone that the cinematographer is responsible for. Okay, 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 very cool. Well, yeah. I didn't see them setting up, but we did um, We did catch the um, the end portion of an exterior shoot outside of the police station when oh, we yeah. visited. And what blew us away besides just being there, which was super fun, was how fast everything was dismantled. We right. just couldn't believe. <laughs> we're going, we're on the move. Everything's yeah. in the trucks. <laughs> I think it was like 10 minutes or less. And it was, I, was, I was blown away. So, I mean, do you just, you, I, I mean, I know time is important when you're trying to meet the schedule of, you know, was it eight days for an episode? Yeah. But do you just, I mean, do you just learn that over time? I just, I can't, I can't figure out how you guys can move that fast. It's but, all the um, very compartmentalized tasks. So, okay, um, that makes sense. That's why it does seem if you're if you are visiting a set in the and it's the time when the director is working with the actors, it can look mm-hmm. like a lot of people are just standing around doing nothing, and that's because they just very quickly set it all up, and then mm-hmm. as soon as the actors and the director and the director says they're fine, they're going to mm-hmm. break it all down, um, and everyone's really got specific jobs and and I don't know if you noticed okay. but everyone's wearing walkie talkies and so there's a lot of right, communication yep. as you're going through your day um, we all have the security style stuff so you don't hear them blaring around the set all day but there's a lot mm-hmm. of like okay this is our last setup here the assistant directors oh my god a great assistant director makes all the difference in the world okay Trey, Trey okay. Batchelor the assistant director I've been teamed up with um, is fantastic and and the ADs do such a great job on that show that they're They've got a lot of hard work to do. Um, but they're also the ones mapping out with everybody, okay, this is our last set up here. We're going to do the move to back to the stage or wherever they're going next. And so everyone okay. starts leapfrogging their work. Okay, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And, well, yeah, and you I hire a crew that take the little things seriously. The difference between okay. a, a really good crew and a great crew is maybe 5% of effort, but it's the okay. last hardest 5%. So. Our first AC, Dan, Danny Brown, he was sending me photos uh, before season six of different rigs that he was building to, if we were doing like a what's called a combat camera situation where it's a very small camera rig and a lot of the transmitters and things, there's so much wireless stuff on set now, were mm-hmm. in a backpack tethered to the rig so someone could wear the backpack with all the stuff on it and hold basically just the lens in the box. Um, sensor in it in front of them so working those things out not even knowing if we're going to need it because it's not a feature where we have the full script but just being prepared yeah 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 that's that's usually important and i can see how it must be very important in what you do now does the production do you all have any signature style that that 
you try to use when it comes to filming gouache? Like, do you try to give it that noir feel, or are there you know are there signature elements of what you're trying to capture, or the way you're trying to capture it? Oh yeah. So as far as the style of the show, we really were influenced right from the beginning. Um, at least I was really strongly by um, a cinematographer named Owen Roisman, who I'm a huge fan of. Okay. And he shot The French Connection, Three Days of the Condor, this great movie Straight Time that not a lot of people know about, but uh, heavily, you know, just recognized as one of the um, the great cinematographers of the 70s. And the, the way he filmed cities, uh, you know, in his case, it's Manhattan, but the way The French Connection feels where you don't doubt for a second that they're really mm-hmm. in the city. And, and mm-hmm. we started talking about that right away on the first season. Mm-hmm. So the I think the number one overriding thing on Bosch is that we we want it to feel very real and we want mm-hmm. to know that you're in a real place. So even in okay. the sets, like our precinct set is a replica of the Hollywood precinct set. It has nothing yeah. that you would normally put in a Hollywood set. <laughs> okay. So okay. I had to get used to that, but like the first year when we were starting and and they were building the set and I walked in and was walking around with the production designer I uh I said uh well could we put windows up in this wall here over these you know filing cabinets oh mm-hmm. and he was like no I was like well why not because I could then then I could show daytime or nighttime through the windows I could get sunlight in here and he's like but there's no windows in the real precinct I was like, right. yeah, but no one, no one's gonna know. <laughs> you know, only the the cops from the Hollywood precinct are gonna know. And and another thing that was really funny was there's that big soda machine by Shoeshine Wands Shoeshine yes. Stand. Uh-huh. That machine is right in the way of doing any kind of long lens shot where you could see someone uh-huh. coming right out of the bullpen and walking straight uh-huh. towards you. Everyone has to jog around the soda machine. So the okay. very first day I saw the set dress, I was like, well, we're not going to keep that there, right? And everyone looked at me and said, well, because if I'm at the end of the hall with a long lens, people have to walk around that. And and once again, the answer was, well, but that's the way it is in the real precinct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I started understanding, and, and that that was coming from Eric. Eric Overmeyer was a really uh-huh. big fan of doing it that way. Okay. And the thing that that does is – those little decisions all keep everyone on point about reality. So it feels real because we are dealing with, like if that was a completely built from scratch set on a procedural show where they solved a crime every week, Mm -hmm. there'd be big big windows somewhere so we could do all the sunlight stuff that looks cool. The mm-hmm. dividers between the desks would be lower, so it would be easier to do scenes of people talking to each other when they're sitting at the desks. Um, that soda machine wouldn't be there. There'd be all these things that would be different. And every mm-hmm. one of those things is a step away from reality. So right. we don't do those. Instead, right. we go to these real locations and look at them and go, well, how in the world yeah. are we going to shoot in here? And then we shoot, <laughs> then we shoot in there. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it sounds like a, a lot of extra work, but the payoff is, is really big. I yeah. think, um, you know, it's just, it's a, I hope it feels worth it to you because it, it does to the, to the fans. It just, it does, it has that, you know, that level of authenticity, you know, that that's just how they navigate through the station. You know, there are certain physical right. obstacles and, you know, it just, it seems very, 
very natural. So I appreciate the effort that you put into Thank you. Into I, doing I, I do feel, I, at first I, I would have said, you know, the cinematographer that started shooting that show would have said, well, why are you just making it harder? And now mm-hmm. that we're, you know, we just finished season six, um, I, I, I mean, I got it even before the end of that first season, but I do understand what, what mm-hmm. Eric is doing. And, it, and the genius of Michael and Eric, the, you know, the way Michael's books are so to the point without, like, I can tell when Eric does a draft of, when Eric does a pass on someone else's script, we can okay. tell because things get removed and it gets better. And it's the hardest, it's the easiest thing to say to a writing class and it's the hardest thing to do is to remove things to make things clearer and better. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And it just really, it's pretty great to get to work with them. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds like it. Well, shifting gears a little bit, how does your work that you've done so long as a cinematographer influence your style as a director now that you've been directing some? Does it facilitate, you know, your job as a director? How do they go hand in hand? Is it an right. easy transition, that kind of thing? Well, the um, I think there's there's a good thing, and then there's something that uh, I've been very conscious about, which is okay. So when I'm directing, I I tend to not stick when we shoot now. Uh, let mm-hmm. me say, let me re say that as a cinematographer nowadays, you spend a lot of time looking at these two beautiful 25 inch OLED monitors because you're you're able to see better than the camera operators. Okay. Uh, the camera operators are looking through little electric viewfinders. In the old mm-hmm. days, when it was on film, the camera operators could see better than you. You would stand next to the camera, and then you would ask the operators afterwards what they thought. And if you were watching video, it was kind of like a bad little video camera built into the movie camera to just let you see what they were framing. Okay. But now it's all flipped in, in HD video uh we we're seeing greater detail away from the set. Okay. So as a director, that's a horrible place to be. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 20, 30 feet away from the set, looking at big monitors and then yelling mm-hmm. at the actors. It's, it doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't do anyone any good. Mm-hmm. Right. So as a director, I spend my time as close to the actors as I can get so that we can just have a regular speaking level conversation with each other about the scene. Okay. And then okay. the other thing, the reason I'm enjoying directing so much is I'm getting closer to the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, my prep is involving more conversations with Eric and the writers. Um, and then the actual act of directing actors is remarkably rewarding. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, when you can Great. see a performance and then try to say one sentence to one of the actors in the scene and, and watch the scene change. Um, oh wow! Uh, and the amount of the amount of homework you have to do is way more. Um, okay. The advantage of all the years of shooting is that I can. Um, I it's pretty easy for me to know where I want the camera to go once I know what the story is, because that's the mm-hmm. way I've been as a cinematographer with directors, and the way I still am as a cinematographer is mm-hmm. I feel like my job, in some part, as a DP, is to ask the director what she thinks the scene is about and then mm-hmm. then I'll know where to put the camera, like how to help tell okay. that story. So okay. that part that part is very easy for me because I've got twenty years of practice doing it. And mm-hmm. and I so I shot list all my 
uh, every day I have a shot list and I usually have it broken down into what both cameras are doing in every setup. So a lot of the um, a lot of the homework that I'm doing is is making us faster on set because I can tell the operators okay. and the cinematographer I know the things that they're fighting. Um, sure. I'm still close enough. I'm still shooting, so I'm not. I haven't. I don't have any fairy tale thoughts about how fast I am as a cinematographer and how fast, <laughs> therefore, my my DP should be for me. <laughs> you know, give me a few years of just being a director, and I'm sure I'll forget, and suddenly I'll wonder why everything's taking so long. But, um, but it's better to I can I can help by saying, oh, our next setup is gonna. I think we're gonna do these are the shots. I think this order makes sense, but what makes sense for you? Um, there's all those lists of things that I don't like directors doing to me that I try not to do to my cinematographers okay, when I'm sure. directing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then all the things that I do see really good directors do that I, I try to try to copy. So um, yeah. I got really lucky. I mean, the very first thing I got to direct was an episode of Rectify, and mm-hmm. it was such a perfect show to just focus on the performance. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And uh, oh. and so that's been – I've been really lucky in that starting with Rectify and now I've gotten – I got to direct another episode of Bosch this last season. And and, um, and then I got this great opportunity through Ernest Dickerson. Uh, there's a new show coming up on CBS All Access called uh, Interrogation. Yes, and, uh, I've heard got, about that. Uh, yeah, and so Ernest Dickerson was a producing director. It's ten episodes. He directed six and I directed the other four. Oh wow! Really okay. fantastic, amazing mm-hmm. cast to work with. So, yeah. Yeah, that that intrigues me because of the do, the nonlinear aspect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that you can watch in any order for the first yeah. time. I I did want to pick your brain a little bit about that show. I'm curious how, I mean, how scary it is. I mean, the intensity of the show. Like, if you watch Bosch, can you handle watching interrogation or? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's not. There's definitely. There are moments of violence for sure, um, but right. I would think if you if you're a fan of Bosch, you'll be a fan of that show. Okay, um, okay. It's it, there's a couple key members that are the same from the same team. So Henrik, um, the producer uh-huh. from Fabrique, the production company Fabrique, uh, Henrik is the uh-huh, same, yeah. is also the producer. Okay. Of interrogation. Okay, a lot of questions. And uh, John Mankiewicz, which is one of the writers from Bosch, he was one of the mm-hmm. showrunners on the show too. Now, go, going into it, I'm sure you knew that it was going to be um, just to talk about this a little bit a nonlinear type thing where the the viewer can choose to watch whatever order. Did that impact your directing at all, or you just? Yeah, yeah, and we we directed them and um, we cross bordered them. So, which is when we're planning them, instead of planning one episode at a time, we would direct two episodes at a time. Okay. So we would take uh, episodes from similar time periods since the show covers from the early 80s into the early 2000s. We would do, okay, this is early, like the first chunk I had, we called episode three and four because you have to, you do have to number them for our, our part. Mm-hmm. Um, and they took place in the early 80s. And so those episodes that took place in the early 80s, I did together. And okay. In, but they were very different in kind of the whose truth they are. So okay. there's a lot of conversation before we even arrived. Uh, we shot it predominantly in New Mexico. Before we even arrived there on set, there were a lot mm-hmm. of conversations with the show's creators and Ernest and myself about 
how do we deal with remembrances? Uh, how do we deal with the truth as we feel it coming from each person who is claiming mm-hmm. the truth we're going to see in that episode? Um, okay. And then you start thinking in those other levels of like, okay, well, how do we how does how do we revisit similar events which are remembered differently by different people? Right. Um, and so you can have some shots that call back to other shots. Um, and then, and then staying in touch with Ernest so that I'm, I'm not doing anything completely different than what he's doing. Right. Right. Yeah, it was okay. a really exciting show to, to prep and do. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, um, you kind of touched on this a little bit, I think when we were talking a few minutes ago, but I'm curious, um, I was going to ask you, who do you interact most directly with on set? But it, you know, it sounds like it depends on which, which job you're doing. I mean, right. is it fair to say that you, it kind of sounds like you, you interact more with the actors in the director role. I mean, yeah, very much. I mean, okay. I've been there from the beginning, so the actors and I are all very familiar and friendly with each other. Um, sure. Yeah. But it's not. It, I would be crossing a big line if I were to give an actor any input about their performance when I'm the cinematographer for another director. I can right, go right. whisper in that director's ear an idea okay. I have, but it's okay. it's way out of. That's not my. You know the compartmentalizing of all the jobs. Yes. It's uh it's important for me to stay in my lane when I'm doing what I'm doing. Okay. The, the big sense. advantage and it's a constant uh it's a television show thing. The cinematographers are often the more consistent thing on the show than the directors, right? Cuz uh, every season mm-hmm. it's Michael McDonough myself shooting the whole season mm-hmm. and then we'll have, you know, somewhere between 8 and 10 directors depending on how it breaks out. So it is our job to walk a line where we're letting the director be creative, but if we feel that they are bringing something that is well outside of the normal feel of the show, we we have to at that point say this isn't really something we do on the show. So if someone wanted a sequence to be really brightly colored and super wide lenses for all the shots. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of something that wouldn't be Bosch, but wouldn't match. Yeah. To skew far away from the visual signature of the show, we would, okay. we would have to say, you know, I think it's more like this. Luckily, that's not really a problem you run into because, mm-hmm. because you're prepping for, for eight days or seven days before you start shooting, there's plenty of time okay. to have all those conversations and, and spitball okay. things before Good. you get there. Okay. Well, looking back on your time so far with Bosch, are there certain scenes or episodes that come to mind as favorites when you when you look back that kind of stand out in your mind? Oh, I love the I love the uh, underground tunnel sequences. Oh from, yeah, uh, yeah. A few seasons ago, um, <laughs> yeah. Er, Ernest and really wanted to go big on the film noir end, and we did a big day of testing. Peter Bruga had us do a big day of testing in the tunnels um the existing okay. the tunnels that still exist underneath LA are not nearly as big as we made them feel uh, as long okay. as we made them feel we we had to stretch mm-hmm. the perspective of those of the existing tunnels and then playing with how pure black and noir it all felt was really really fun um yeah that that whole that whole episode was pretty great cuz it then it ended with um, Madison and Titus out in the on um, the desert, and see, getting to see yeah. Madison grow up as 
uh, as her character, but also to see her acting. And mm-hmm. Titus and her are so good in all their scenes together. This it's a really that's a really special thing. It sure um, is. And the cast sure is, is. So, the cast is so ridiculously good. I mean, um, <laughs> no complaints here. <laughs> yeah, they're so great. Um, I was okay. just before the call. I was um, listening to the Boshies, and I directed oh, the scene yeah. of Irving shredding the photo. <laughs> you did? Oh, yeah, awesome. that was the episode. That's I a big winner. Like, yeah. yeah, the episode I got to direct. Um, that sequence is really fun to do. That was the things he can do with just a look or one word. Lance is uh, Lance <laughs> is a very. He is a really, um, I mean, you you, can't, you kind of keep running out of adjectives and things, but Lance is a really <laughs> special actor in, in that um, he he definitely wants to know what the scenes are about and where they're yeah. coming from. And if you only, if you thought that the actor was going to be as stern as Irvin is, mm-hmm. you might not you might not approach him. And that would be a right. huge mistake. You'd be missing out on this really great yeah. collaboration with this really wonderful actor. And you're right; he's mm-hmm. able to to under the 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 character of Irvin Irving, mm-hmm. able to do all these really special things. I mean, the scene where he's walking—that's the other scene I think would is a real resonant scene for me. Is the the whole shooting and and the discovery of his seeing his son in the oh in, gosh. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. heartbreaking, and and it it really is. I do a lot of rewatching, and I I have to. I mean, I don't have to, but I I usually bypass that. It's so the acting is so good, but it is so real, and yeah. it's like you know, it's hard to see that hurt over you know over and over. That's, but speaking of rewatching, I, I you may or may not know that Bosch fans do a lot of rewatching, especially in the hiatus when we're waiting for the new season. Oh, Could cool. You pick up, yeah, you pick up new things and new little tidbits as you you know, watch closer in certain areas. But speaking of Lance and rewatching, as I've been doing some rewatch lately, those scenes of him, you know, we've had it multiple times now of him pulling up in his vehicle with the window coming down. And sometimes, you know, it has uh, to a look or a few words, but those exchanges <laughs> are so compelling. You know, he, you, you know, the production and then it with the actor captures so much in, in so little. It's just the rolling down a window and, you know, just a short Oh, he burns the mayor at the end of that season. Is yeah. Really good. <laughs> That's a good one. Well, you, you should know that when we're color correcting months after we've filmed it and we're, we're watching it, we are laughing again. And, <laughs> and, and we, good. we get the same joy in rewatching, you know, cause we good. see those scenes over and over and over again. Yeah. In the, yeah. In the post-production. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that makes me that makes me happy. Well, Troy told me a story when I talked to him um, last year about the mugs you had made up for the, uh, yeah. the Zen Masters. And he hugged me again, and that was yes. a great story. And so, I, <laughs> not to put you on the spot, but I just wonder if you had a fun story about Troy that you might want to share. What what story about Troy wouldn't be fun? Uh, exactly. The wonderful yeah. <laughs> wonderful human being that. Um, the end of this last season, he handed me one of his poker chips, which have his number and everything, and it says, uh, um, and it says Troy Evans. I'm holding it in my hand right now. Troy Evans, <laughs> veteran for peace, and that yeah. sums up the man. Wow. There, there is mm-hmm. such. He is, uh, you know, he is such a wonderful human being, and you can just mm-hmm. tell. You can just. 
feel it. And then yeah. when you get to work with them and give them a hug in the morning and like it really turns oh, out yeah. to be great. And that whole hug me again thing was that worked. That was so fun. That became our camera department T-shirts too for that season. Awesome! That's cool. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. yeah, that scene was just great. It was so good. The fans were excited. The, yeah. the characters on the screen were excited. Yeah, that was a really neat <laughs> capture. Well, um, good. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, of course. Yeah, he's wonderful. Um, well, I, it's kind of selfish on my part, um, but I would love to hear some, if you have a couple more minutes, about I your do. experience yeah, working on Rectify. Like, you know, I'm just, you know, what, you're, what you took from the experience, what did you think of Georgia? Because I live here in Georgia, Atlanta. Sure. Um, and, and would you want to work here again? Well, yes, I would love to work there again. Okay. I'm actually attached as a director to a feature, and we're thinking um, if we can get the feature off the ground, then Georgia would be the place to shoot it. Oh, um, okay. But Rectify, so the first season of Bosch, my friend Paul Summers was the other cinematographer, and he – uh, came into the studio. I was I was shooting at the um, at the precinct set, and the, mm-hmm. and the precinct set just looks like it looks. It's got the suspended ceiling and the fluorescent lights. There's no trickery on that set really. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like spending your day inside the precinct without having to deal with um, real police officers and, and sure. drunk, yeah. <laughs> drunk, drunk people waiting to to try right. out. Um, All and, the real uh, drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we only have to deal with our drama and. Um, <laughs> So Paul came in and he's like, look, I, I, uh, I've been away from home for too long. So he'd been leaving town for work over and over and over again. And he was like, I need to try to find something here close to home. So I, I think you should take over the show. And I was like, well, I don't want to leave town either. I've got a family. And when I was there, he's like, he said, just, just watch the pilot and let me mm-hmm. know. I'm like, okay. So after a full day of shooting, I went home and I watched, I had to stop myself after the second episode. So I watched two episodes because I couldn't stop after just the pilot. And Mm -hmm. I went back to work the next day and I was on stage the next day and Paul came in. (laughs) He's like, so what do you think? I'm like, damn you, now I have to shoot the show. Like, I have to shoot the show. Yeah, no choice. And uh, and he's like, all right, good, I'll I'll tell Ray. And uh, I met with Ray and I don't know if they met any other cinematographers or not and I got hired on the show. And Mm -hmm. I was... And the first, after I got the show, I think before I even met on it, the one thing Paul had told me, he's like, look, it, it's going to seem like it's a very simple show to shoot. There's not a lot of action sequences. It's mostly people talking in rooms. The thing mm-hmm. you need to know is if you shoot a wide shot of a scene and then you're into the second or third setup of a scene and the actors and Ray and the director make it better and it changes something, they aren't going to just keep it because you've already shot the wide. You're going to have to go back okay. and re- reshoot the wide. Now, that's a little terrifying to hear because that show shot seven-day episodes, so it's oh, moving very, very fast. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but at the same time, you cannot argue with the results, and so, and it only happens a couple. It only happened a couple times a year. It, you would you would shoot some beautiful wide shot and then you you know Ray would realize something wasn't right or 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 the actors would change the performance or something and you'd go back and reshoot it like um, I'm trying to think of uh, a time that happened that we had shot a wide shot of uh, in front of uh, one of the police officers' wife came to the car 
It was in front of their oh, house. Okay. Big tree out yeah. front. And we okay. shot the wide mm-hmm. shot. Um, Ray was uh, busy prepping the next next episode. And that, that show, I was you're the, there's only one cinematographer, so you don't get as much prep. So okay. we shot this big, beautiful wide shot. <clears throat> the sun was low. It was coming through the trees. It was beautiful. And mm-hmm. Ray came in, and we were on to the coverage. And he's like, why is she so close to the car? And she was going... I don't think she was putting her hands up, but she was standing really close to the, the door. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, a woman of that age in this area would never come that close to the car. And as soon and, – and it almost – it's not worth or even uh, – the point of it isn't to be wrong or right about what you did before. You just uh, immediately at that point, you go, oh, mm-hmm. I guess we'll redo it because okay. – it it's Ray's voice. The show is so Ray's voice and so much his storytelling. So if something mm-hmm. struck him as wrong, you you had to honor that because the results were so yeah. obvious. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we went back and reshot it, but at the same time, the completely visual person is like, no, the sun isn't going to, you know, you go back and you reshoot yeah. it and the sun's not as, it's not as amazing looking. And it doesn't right. matter because the story is better the other way. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was a really good, I think that's really helped being around that as a, as a cinematographer really helped mm-hmm. prep me for getting to direct the show because oh, the okay. emphasis was always on performance. And I've always mm-hmm. said as a, as a camera person, my job is our job, the 40 people on set because it can, it, can, it can really skew, right? We have so many people on set mm-hmm. just to capture the image. You can start thinking that the important thing on the show is the image. And it's mm-hmm. not nearly as important as the story. So yeah. our job is to capture the performance, is to capture that story the best way we can. If, if we can make an mm-hmm. amazing image and it helps tell the story, that's good. If we make an amazing image and you're suddenly looking at the way it looks instead of what's happening in the room, you've screwed it up. But yeah. you, you need to be attached to the story. So that that being on Rectify where that was the number one thing was, was a really fortunate thing to get to do. And then when season four came around and we knew it was going to be the last season, mm-hmm. once again, the leaving leaving home thing came up and my family and I, whenever it's a job out of town, everyone gets an equal vote and there's three of us. So okay. I can be mm-hmm. outvoted. Right. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> and we were yeah. talking and, and my wife and my lovely daughter were saying, well, why do you need to leave town to do this show? And I said, well, I really, I want to finish it off. And the show is just so incredible to be around. And we were mm-hmm. talking and we were talking and I said, well, what if I asked, because I've been thinking about it, I said, "What if I asked to get to direct an episode?" And they said, "Yes." And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, then mm-hmm. you'd have to, you'd have to go do it, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I called up the producers and uh, Melissa Bernstein, and and I asked very sheepishly because <laughs> I knew what I was mm-hmm. asking. It was there's there were eight episodes <laughs> left of the entire show, and I assumed uh-huh. they already had directors for everybody. Um, for every episode, and uh, uh-huh. as it turned out, they didn't. And okay. They, and she and Ray and the rest of the production staff thought it was a good idea, and they had me shoot the first episode of that season or direct the first episode of that season because um, 
that meant losing me for only one that episode as the cin- being the cinematographer. Okay. Um, and it was reading that script, which is kind of like a pilot because you've only you've only got Daniel as the only character mm-hmm. from the show that's in that first episode of the fourth season. Everyone is that else the one where seen. he's very much at the halfway house? Yes. It's this, yeah, it's, okay, yeah. The whole episode right. is like a pilot because mm-hmm. the only yes. character mm-hmm. we know is Daniel. Yeah. Um, and so I read that script, and I was busy shooting with Michael McDonough down in New Mexico on Fear the Walking Dead. And uh, mm-hmm. I read the script, and I was a little terrified. And then about a week later, mm-hmm. they called up and said, look, we realized that this episode is like a pilot. Uh, we're yeah. going to see if we can get a more experienced director to come in and do it. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Another week or two go by. They call me back up. <laughs> we can't find anyone, so you're going to do it. <laughs> you're going to do it. All right. <laughs> wow. Well, well, it's good because all the cards are on the table. Everyone understood that yeah. it was my first yeah. episode of directing television. Uh, it was a big deal. The advantage, though, was I was able to combine my DP, my cinematographer prep, and my director prep for that episode concurrently. So I ended up prepping for... 15 days or something like that. Oh, okay. Extra time. Mm-hmm. And it's two Very weeks. Good. And with with Ray looking at all the locations, really figuring it all out, and really being able to spend a lot of time finding out from Ray what he wanted out of the episode. What he and and even mm-hmm. to the point of Ray and I together. Ray and you know um, television. If if the people that are listening aren't don't know. It's really the writer's medium, um, so casting mm-hmm. is often done by the writers of the show, the creators okay. of the show, and not the directors. So, mm-hmm. but on that episode, I was in on some of the final casting choices too, which is a really, oh, cool. uh, really great to be that much a part of it. More like a feature direct, you know, more yeah, like a feature, yeah. feature director. Sure. And that was all Ray inviting me into the process, which was really helpful. Wow. Well, I, I tell people all the time that, and I know you, you know, your work plays a part in this because it, everything comes together. But I just tell them how believable it is. Like, like for instance, there's the scene where Janet and Amantha are talking in the living room, and I feel like I'm in the living room with them. Yeah. You know, it's just so authentic, and it's not, you know, like it's not exciting. It's not, you know, it's just it's so authentic, and it just you watching that show, you come to feel like you're a part of that. Family, you know, you have you're, you have a vested interest in it. I think that's that's a big part of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't imagine how you switch gears from shooting, you know, something maybe that has a lot of action or a lot of change to something simple like that. But it sounds like it takes a lot of um, skill and expertise to capture those simple moments too. So it does, I and to make them that. feel like they're the funny thing is, is a scene like that in the living room. It could be. Mm-hmm a very believable scene that's happening in the afternoon and we're shooting it at night. Like you, you don't, yeah. it, it could be pouring rain outside and we're faking mm-hmm. all the sunlight. So there's those, right. that's the stuff that we're doing is it might've, we might've started shooting the scene when real sun was coming uh-huh. into the room. And then, you know, especially in uh, Georgia, the, you know, if you don't like the weather, you just oh, wait yeah. a few minutes. Right. So yeah. Yeah. all that consistency is being created by a bunch of people running around in, Spider-Man mm-hmm. T-shirts, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with tools on their belts. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's really exciting. I I I think I've always been really attracted to the 
uh, story-based show. I I shot the yeah. the first season of uh, In Treatment too, and that I mean you couldn't get it to be a more simple nothing happening show with everything happening because it's all right, right. Performances, but it draws you in. Oh yeah. boy, it's a good yeah. one. So yeah. well, job well done with with thank you there. Oh, well, I don't know if you've heard um, from if you're familiar with any of the other interviews that that we've done on the podcast, but we usually play a little game at the end uh-huh. um, where you you make a choice between either two actors, maybe or two characters. So I thought if you're if you're up for it, just take a couple minutes that okay. I would give you the choices of Troy, Tom, Bernardo, or Titus. So all the T's. Then I'm just going to give you three scenarios. You can pick who you think best qualifies. Oh, okay. I get it now. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. You don't have to. Pick, and one uh, for each of them. One for. No, you can you can say the same person for all of them if you want. It's just <laughs> those are your choices. All right. So this uh, this first scenario, you have to leave early for the day. There's there's some kind of emergency, and you have to have one of them fill in for whatever job you're doing that day, whether it's directing or, or the cinematography. And you, you can give them very explicit instructions, but who would you trust with that job? Oh, my God, that's a really hard question. <laughs> oh, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's a tough one. Um, I might have to go with Titus because he has a okay. – uh, Ernest, Titus, and I all have – with those two guys having more than me, but we all have this love of all these different types of films. So this almost encyclopedic knowledge of all these films. So I know if I turned to Titus and said, you know, it needs to look like uh, that scene in Le Cirque Rouge, he would know the movie I'm talking about. (laughs) Uh Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. They would get the, he would get the references. They get the reference. Yeah. If it was yeah, about yeah, the characters, you'd have to go with Tom, though, because he's been – he is the person in the room all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, has has that knowledge. Yeah. Okay, well, second scenario, your um, boss is finally getting the awards attention that it so very much deserves. You're going to the awards ceremony. One of these gentlemen is going to prepare or pick out your outfit for the evening. Oh, the outfit for the evening. Yeah, like if you're going to do a tux or, you know, what color. Wow. All that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I think I'd have to go with Bernardo on that one. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, go with him on the style. I like yeah. it. All yeah. right, last one. You're at work. Crafty's there. you got this great lunch, you know, catered. We got to take advantage of that one day. It was incredible. I loved it. You can't make your plate. You have to be somewhere else, but you, you want a good plate. Which of these guys would you entrust with preparing a plate for you? You don't well, know what they're serving. You can't tell. Yeah. Them no, I would say I food. would say Troy, but the with the caveat that he has to eat it with me, so I can hang out with Troy at lunch. There you go. That's a good choice. That's a win-win. I like it. I like it. Awesome. Very good. Well, you did end up with one for each, so that's pretty cool. Oh, good. Well. We decided we would also ask you who you might recommend that we do an interview with because we learned from Amy Aquino about Mitzi and Tim, and we were able to talk to them, and that was really fascinating. And oh, I my God, aren't they amazing? Tom and, and Troy. Yes, they are. And so Tom and Troy kind of introduced me to who you are. So do you have anyone you might recommend? And you're not locking them in or anything, but just – Yeah, I would say Trey Batchelor, the uh, first AD. Oh, okay. E- okay. Either of the Very first good. ADs, but Trey, Trey – uh, um, uh, has been on the show. Well, I don't know. It's funny. He was he was there and then gone and then came back. Um, I would say either of the first ADs would be a, a really great.
great to talk okay. to because they're, they're doing they're, they're doing a part of it that um, they're really making the machine run. <laughs> and and Trey got yeah, to direct an yeah. episode this last season, and uh, okay. I got to okay. shoot okay. for That's him. Cool. And he, did a, he did a great job. I, I want to thank you for your time. You're so generous, and I hope oh. I didn't keep you too long. But it's no, just, I'm fascinated all. by all that you do and everything that goes into the show. So thank you so much. Thanks, Tracy. Cool. All right. Well, thank you again so much. Have a great evening. Thanks, Tracy. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.